so um, lift him up before the Lord. God's already working in there. Amen. And so we want to keep them in prayer, him in prayer, that God's will would be done, make ways where seem to be no way. Amen. Amen. We want to uh, have our uh, young minister come up, Brother Andy, tonight. Come up and lay on our hearts what God has laid on your heart. Thank you, Pastor Lot. Praise the Lord, church. You know, there's only a few of us here, but I tell you what, I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving in this place. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so we'd open up our Bibles. Brother John's probably got it up here already. No, not yet. It's okay. I hit the wrong button here. So we'd open up our uh, Bibles to Genesis uh, 4 7. 4 7. Amen. And uh, let me take a time here. I just want to say thank you, Pastor. I'm. Uh, Grateful for you and what Sister Taylor do here. This is um, this is this, what we what happens here. It's not by coincidence. It's by the hand of God that things take place here. I know there's greater and better things that are coming forth. This we see the things that we see presently now, but we don't see the things that are in the spirit. And God moves in the spirit. So praise God for that. Thank you, Pastor Locke. Genesis four seven. If thou doest well shalt thou not be accepted and if thou doest do, does not well sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him and the title of my message is thou shalt rule over him praise the lord we'll just pray real quick but well, not real quick we just give a thanks to the lord lord we thank you we come to you with this word lord i would pray that you would bless every mind and every heart that you would move, mighty God, and do your will, Lord. Not our will, but your will. That you would open our eyes to the beautiful things that you have for us. Presently, now, and also, Lord, we prepare ourselves for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, you guys, you may be seated, church. Praise the Lord. All right. So, uh, most of us know that God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. And doing so, we should know that God does not desire us to perish. And we know this because it is declared. John 3.16 reads, For God so know, we know this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Now I'm going through all this just to, just to turn your gears for a little bit. But let me tell you that the enemy wants you to be weak. He doesn't want you to be strong. If you're strong, this means you'll have to fight up against him. And if you fight against him, then it's, it's going to be a fight. He will keep you from your prayer. He will keep you from your word. He will keep you from your family. He will keep you from anything that will help the kingdom of God if we let him. He wants you to remain as a knowledge unknowledgeable of who he is that we can do is that and what we can do more importantly he wants to rob you of your will and as some of us know sometimes he doesn't even have to intervene because we act upon doing it ourselves at times help us lord 
Even so, we can still overcome our issue with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the enemy says, you can't make it. But in Matthew eight, uh, Matthew 11, chapter 28, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 11, 28 through 30. Uh, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am weak and lowly in heart. Which means lowly in heart, having or showing a quiet, gentle, and humble nature. Jesus wants to come down to the place that you're at. It doesn't matter where you are. He's going to come meet you. Lord, I can't because I'm so low. He says, it's okay. I'll come down for I'll come down with you. He'll come touch you. And ye shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The children of Israel passed through the waters for the Red, through the Red Sea. God fed them and gave them to drink. The Bible says they ate the spiritual meat and drank the spiritual water from the rock. And yet even though we know that God, God struck them, first, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I've read through this. Pastor, I listened to you. You said to read, I read Corinthians. Praise the Lord. There was a lot of good meat in there. So I thank you for that. So the, they, they chose to go through the door. And the door that I'm talking about is sin lieth at the door. If we go through it, we're going to find what the flesh desires. But on the other side, this is where God dwells. He is the door. But if you walk through the door, you run into sin. You will meet sin, let's put it that way. And that all of them, but, but many of them, died because of this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, we know not that, know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So God is calling us temples. And he, this is, and I can see the example, I never understood it before, but I see it now. The more God draws us in, he allows us to see that the things of past can happen today. So we walk in newness of life as God gives us newness of life. Now at the time of Cain, before he killed Abel, and I'm coming back to the scripture that I meant, uh, I spoke earlier, and this is what it's referring to. It was Cain and Abel, but God dealt with him. He was in a much better position before he did what he, he did. It was not until he decided to take matters into his own hands and determines his, determine his outcome on which side of the door he would stand. This caused all his destruction to, fall, to befall on him. Church, the enemy wants, he, they want, he wants what you desire, what you desire for the world. That's what the enemy wants. God is telling, God told Cain, if he doesn't do well, that, that sin lies on the other side of the door. We choose life when we decide to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God warned. God spoke to Cain, if that's what you want to do, you're going to have to walk through the door, Cain. You have to do that. Walk all by yourself because I'm not walking with you. I gave you free will. Now it's up to you. Shortly after, God warns Cain. Cain kills Abel. He breaks the door uh, wide open. Cain just marked himself. In John 10, 9, I am the door. This is Jesus speaking by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Sin is at the door. It desires for you to, to overpower you and to bring you to nothing. It wants to tear you apart and shame you. Jesus is the door, and sin cannot come in. 
a short story here um, I shared with some of the, you guys already. It's about the two goats in Israel. They used to, uh, well, and this is back even in the times of Moses. Uh, they don't do it now anymore, but Lord knows if they're going to bring it back. Eventually, I'm pretty sure they would. But it talks about two goats, and pastors talk, talked about these. One is kept as a sacrifice, which is a representation of Jesus. The other one was a representation of Barnabas who went out with sin. However, in this particular one, it's still, it's still in that matter. The goat that remains is sacrifice. It's the blood that atones. But the goat that goes out is the goat that carries the sin away for Israel. Now, what caught me by off guard was when I started to read more into this, it was based on a goat as it went out. It was led by one of the priests. So we, he, led the, he would lead the uh, goat out into the wilderness. But not only would he lead, lead it out to die, he would push it over the cliff. The question is, why would he push it over the cliff? It made no sense to me at first. But the more you read the story, the more so you understand what it was that we're trying to obtain. They didn't want sin to return to them. I was sharing with pastor, and pastor said, that makes pretty good sense. I would see the goat coming back. Why wouldn't it? It knows you. It wants sin knows you. It wants to come back to you. It wants to dwell in a place that is cleansed and holy. And God says, no, I will, I will cleanse you. I will keep you from that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as it pushed off the pushed off the cliff, this this goat comes down. Uh, I had the I spoke to Brother Locke a little bit about it, and he uh, says, "Hey, what, what wouldn't it be crazy if it just came back?" And the thing about it, the priest would make sure that where he went, it was not just any regular cliff off the edge, or it was shallow. He made sure that there was ledges, pretty sharp cliffs on it, so that when it fell, it died a dreadful death, but it died, so it would not come back. Being pushed off uh, in contact before it hits the bottom, if you knock on the door, it will be open, and if you, if, I'm sorry, before, if you knock on the door, it will be open. If you call on the name of the Lord, he will hear you. Don't let the enemy patronize you. Jesus is the rock. We also know that we drank of his water in the rock. He is the rock, which we he said, if we drink of this water, we'll never thirst again. When he spoke to the Samaritan, well, that still represents something for us today. We don't fall. That is not far from us. We are part of that. I'm just going to relate a little bit why it was pushed, pushed, off the, uh, pushed off the cliff a little bit. We know it was to be uh, to die. Uh, but someone had a, another, you know, someone else had another possible reason why the scapegoat is killed in such a uh, destructive manner. It teaches us how destructive our actions were. It has to die. It needs to die. This sin needs to die. We need to kill it. We need to push it off the cliff. It needs not to come back. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, just to have you think a little bit for a moment, Adam and Eve were kicked off the garden, and many of us know this, so they no longer in the same are in the same place where they were had security and safety and eternal life. Now, now, now you have Cain who's, uh, who's being sent away from the presence of his father and his mother. And this is God who did this. And all, all for, for a very specific reason. For Abel, it was different. It wasn't like Adam and Eve. Abel was different to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were deceived by the enemy. Deceived. Abel chose to make that decision. He chose to do that. There was nobody speaking in his ear. It was what was in his heart. And he was deceived by it. It was part of him. It became part of him. 
But God, again, rejected that, cast him out. So he was cast out twice. Adam and Eve first out of the garden, and now he is cast out away from Adam and Eve. Isn't that, isn't that something to think about? Praise the Lord. Here we go. For Abel, it was different. This is why the Bible says, unto thee shall be his desire. Satan wants you to do what he does best. Make you fall deeper into sin, so deep that you start to feel that it is hopeless. He tells you that you can't turn back now. You belong with him. But the last verse tells you something with hope is very possible. And it reads, and thou shalt rule over him. You rule over the devil. He's got no power over you. The Lord said the blood of the Lamb, when it covered us, it wiped away our sins. He's trying to bring them back upon us, and it's not going to happen. The scripture has been fulfilled, and Jesus is Lord. What is it to do? This is what we do when we're a child of God. We have instruction in scripture to live by, and that is because thou shalt rule over him. From the beginning, oh, hold on, something happened here. The beginning, God protect. Oh, from the beginning, God has protected us and kept us from damnation and being condemned and going to hell and going and doing as God has made a nice road map for us to follow. He is giving us the understanding of what truth is and what love is. Oh, and the most important, how to get to the place of true love. A true love is what you find in the depths of the heart of God. It's what you find in your prayer closet when seeking to understand something that makes no sense. But let me tell you that God desires for you to stay in his presence. In that door. Walk in through that door. God wants you to give you true instruction. He wants you to understand that there is a way to tear away the sinful nature of man and woman. It's not only to man. It's also to woman. It's to both. I know it says man, but it's both. The, the, the word man is in woman. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is, a, uh, this is my closing quote. For I, not quote scripture, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is meek and lowly in heart. He will come down to where you are. That is who he is. Praise the Lord. I hope this ministered to you in some form or some fashion. May God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Locke. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andy. Amen. We have to uh, watch out for that goat. Otherwise, it'll come back. Amen. You can't uh, can't play with sin. You can't uh, compromise with anything because we always lose in the end. I mean, even just giving up a little uh, down the road, it ends up being a mile. And so we always have to be on guard. Amen. So uh, we are going to continue in our our series that we started, uh, we skipped last week because we talked about speaking in tongues last week for our, our doctrinal lesson. Uh, so we're jumping back into part four of the great mystery. And the text that we take from that is in uh, Ephesians 3 and 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is this fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. Amen. We've been uh, diving under the clouds 
discovering what this mystery is that God had hidden for nearly 4,000 plus years. And we know that it was revealed to the whole world on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came down as a rushing mighty wind and filled that upper room. And thus began the church age, the dispensation of grace where anyone who believed, not just the Jews, but anyone who was willing to, can come in and be a part of this mystery that God had. But all people of all nations were invited to the precious gift of salvation that God provided through his death. And so this mystery of the church, we can now see as we are part of it, uh, we can now see how it, it has been inserted into these gaps in Scripture that we have been talking about. These Scriptures are prophecies concerning the nation of Israel, and it is evident that God hit the pause button on Israel's timeline and has revealed something completely new and something completely different, which is the church. It's so different from His plans for Israel. And so this first gap that we talked about, the first part was in Isaiah 9 and 6 where the child is born, uh, but, but the government being upon his shoulders, that part of the verse hasn't happened yet because he hasn't uh, ascended, uh, descended from heaven and ruled this world yet when he rules all the government. And so the child is born, but the government hasn't happened yet. And so that is to come and it will be fulfilled when God is finished with his plans of the church. And the second gap of time that we looked at was with the 70th week timeline that God gave Daniel. And we talked about, if you remember, how the Messiah was cut off. The Messiah was killed in the 69th week. Um, and so we know that God hit the pause button there. And he unveiled the mystery to the world, the church. And when he's finished with the church, he'll go back and hit play and let that 70th week happen. It's been over 2,000, nearly 2,000 years since uh, the 69th week. And the 70th week is fastly approaching. And we know that the 70th week of Daniel is the time of tribulation that God uses to bring Israel into faith. He wants them to be saved and, and believe in him, and he, ha he uses the 70th week to do that. Uh, and so we know that the 70th week does not pertain to the church because he told Daniel it's for you and your people and your city, and so it's only for Israel. And so in, the three part, in part three of this series we talked about two weeks ago, we looked at what is going to happen to the church. Now Paul says... That at is a mystery, and which is the catching away, or better known as the rapture of the church. And we saw how the 70th week of Daniel can't begin until the Antichrist enters into a covenant with Israel. But the Antichrist can't be revealed to do this until the restrainer is removed and taken out of the way. And so since Jesus gave his church the power and the authority to bind and to loose, wouldn't it make sense that the restrainer, the one that is holding back the Antichrist from, from taking over the world, would be the church. And if he takes the church out of the way, then, then the Antichrist has full reign. And so when God raptures the church from this world, there wouldn't be anything left to restrain the Antichrist from taking over this world because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
And so we understand and we know and we believe that, that it's through his spirit that's inside of us. And so if he takes us out of here, then there's nothing left uh, to hold back the Antichrist and the devil. And so now this series, uh, this series is laying out a, a, the reasons that support a, a pre-trib rapture. However, there are many people out there that believe in a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. And I don't necessarily, I don't think it's really a, a heaven or hell issue on the rapture. But the most important thing is, is that you got to be ready for it. You don't want to skip out and miss out on that, that, that train ride. Uh, and so whenever the rapture is, we need to make sure that we are ready for it and we don't want to miss out on that. So we got to be ready at all times uh, because if it's a pre-trib, then it's going to come at any moment. And so we got to be ready for that. So the rapture of the church is more than just a, a, a way and a time for his church to escape the wrath to come. But the rapture of the church is directly tied to a Jewish marriage. And since the church is also known as the bride of Christ, we are in a marriage covenant with Jesus. Many of Jesus' parables were tied to the customs of a Jewish marriage. Uh, and since we're Gentiles and we really have no clue or understanding uh, about uh, a, a Jewish ceremony or marriage, uh, we really we read the words that Jesus speaks, and oh, that's an interesting story, but it has no relevance to us. We're not Jewish. But to those people that heard Jesus speaking in that day, they knew exactly what he meant and uh, what he was talking about. Uh, there's the, um, the, the five foolish brides, Five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. That's that's talking about in the marriage ceremony. Uh, he talks about the uh, the great marriage feast. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a marriage feast. Uh, again, talking about that. Even the even the lady with the ten the the ten coins and she loses one and she turns her house upside down. That's that has that's tied to a, the marriage uh, covenant of of a Jewish custom. Uh, and so all of these things, a lot of the stuff Jesus talked about, we. We have no context relationship with it, and, uh, and so we just read it and we keep going. Uh, but so tonight we'll briefly go through the process of a Jewish marriage and how that applies to uh, us, it relates to us, and it relates to this world. And so uh, the first part is the, the betrothal or the engagement. We would call the engagement. That's about the same for us, an engagement where the betrothal is where the bridegroom would look for that one beauty to catch his eye. Uh, but once he found that, that girl, um, he would go to her father, kind of like how we do, and, and ask for blessing and all this stuff. But back then in the Jewish time, uh, he would negotiate the price for her. The, the bridegroom had to pay for the bride, had to pay his father. And... Um, uh, we should do that today because it's the the father who pays for the wedding and it goes broke. And when you got two girls and multiple girls, you're going to go broke twice as quick. So I'm all for bringing this custom back to the Gentiles where the bridegroom pays, pays the father for their daughter. Uh, and so he, he would negotiate, go to the father. And he'd, he'd talk terms and negotiate the price, how much the father wanted for, 
for his daughter to be married to this man if, if he found him worthy. Uh, and so he would negotiate that. And so Jewish brides were to be purchased. They were bought. A payment was given to her father for her. And so doesn't 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're bought. We're bought. We're paid for. We're not our own. We don't belong. This body doesn't belong to us anymore. Jesus purchased us. He paid for us, meaning that if we are the bride of Christ, if the church is the bride of Christ, he paid for his bride. Acts 20, 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock and over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so Jesus paid for his bride, he paid for the church with his life, with his very own blood on the cross when he died, he was purchasing his bride. He was paying the price it would take in order to have a bride, the church. And don't you think he doesn't, and don't think for one second he doesn't pay close attention to what happens in the church. He knows everything that happens in the church and to the church. Why? Because it's his bride. He died for his bride, and he knows exactly everything that's going on. And so go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Brother Andy, and find out what he does to those who do, who do not discern the Lord's body. We do not discern his bride. He's talking to believers again. You go read it. It says, for, for many of you are weak and are sick and some of you sleep because you don't discern the Lord's body. And so even fellow believers who don't discern the Lord's body, Paul is saying you may be sick because you're, you're not treating his bride right. Or you may be asleep or God may have taken you out because you're, you're affecting his bride. And so that's how important his bride is. As you can imagine, he died for his bride. He paid the price for that. And so once the bridegroom pays the price, then they have entered into a marriage covenant. And that they are basically considered married, uh, but obviously not formally yet. They have entered into a covenant. And, and as a symbol of the covenant relationship of marriage that has been established, the groom and the bride... They drink from the same cup. Now, so we kind of do that today, light a candle, unity candle or, or whatever. The, the bride and group come together to do something fancy or whatever. Um, back then, they, they took a cup and they both drank from the cup. That was telling everyone, okay, we've entered into a contract. We're, we're, we're betrothed to be married. We're, we're set to be married. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. and when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup when he supped, saying, This cup is a new covenant, New testament in my blood, that he, the, the blood he purchased. This do ye eat as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And so we call this communion. But it's much more profound, it's much more deeper than just a little ceremony. Uh, what it really is, is to be a reminder to us about our marriage covenant with Jesus Christ. Because he purchased us with his blood, and now we, we take the cup as he took the cup, and we, we seal that covenant, that ceremony. We are spoken for, we are bought, and we had better keep ourselves pure for Jesus. Because when we take communion, that's a reminder, hey, we're, we're engaged. 
We're, we're, we're spoken for. And so from that moment on, the bride was declared to be consecrated and sanctified, set apart for her bridegroom, bridegroom exclusively for him. Nobody else had uh, rights or could look at her. She was set aside, set apart for his, her bridegroom. And so she's spoken for, and it is her duty, the church's duty, to remain that, to remain separated, to remain set apart, to remain consecrated to her husband, which will be Jesus Christ. And so uh, we are to be called out and to remain separated from this world. Why? Because we're spoken for. He purchased us. We're not our own. We're not available to anybody else. And when we go make ourselves available, God's not happy. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. It's more than just keeping ourselves from filthiness and sin. It's keeping our heart separated from the world, and to keep it pure for Jesus, because we are spoken for, and he is coming back for his bride, and we are his bride. And so after the marriage covenant was established... And finalized with the drinking of the same cup, the groom leaves his bride. He leaves her at her home, and he returns to his father's house. And at his father's house, the groom starts building, he starts preparing a place for him and his bride to come and live together in that place. He doesn't go moving with her and sleep on the couch. She will leave her father and mother, and she will go live with the groom in his father's house, the place that he is preparing. And so don't we see in John 14 and 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go prepare a place for you. Now, this is not just to come and hang out. He's talking about the church, his bride. I'm going to go prepare a place for my bride. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. See, this is we. These are all. These are read at all funerals. Jesus is not talking about a funeral here. This is marriage. Again, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. What he's talking about? Oh, that sounds good. Let's say it at a funeral. It's for a marriage. He was going to prepare a place, as was the Jewish custom. He would go prepare a place for him and his bride to come and live. And so that's marriage talk. And the apostles knew it. They all knew what that was. They, I mean, those that were married, it did that. Uh, and so during this period of separation, while the groom was uh, preparing a dwelling place in his father's house, what was the bride to be doing? Keeping herself from the world, staying separated, staying pure, staying holy, keeping her heart fixed on her groom, writing love letters, talking to him, texting, communicating to her groom. But this time of separation is a time of testing. Okay, so when um, so this was a time of testing for the bride, 
Will she remain faithful to him while he's gone? Lots of distractions can come. Lots of things can happen. Uh, she doesn't know when he's coming back. And so this time of separation, uh, she has to prove to him that she's going to be faithful to him uh, while he is gone. And so will her love for him stay hot or will she become complacent? Will she get lukewarm and start going back out and, and hanging out with friends and mingling with others again, even though she's already spoken for? Will she remain committed to him? And this is why God is a jealous God, and we are told to love him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our body and soul and spirit. This is why God would get so upset with Israel because they were chosen and they were set apart for him, but they would chase after other gods. And so this is committing adultery in God's eyes because you're spoken for. We're into, we entered into a marriage covenant. We're engaged. And you go off chasing other gods. That's, a, that's adultery. You're, you're cheating on God. And so God got so upset all the time with, with, with Israel because Israel was being unfaithful. Now, when the groom was finished with his work, at the end of the period of separation, the bridegroom came. He came for his, bri he came for his bride. And usually it was at night. He came to take him with his bride to come live with him. And so the groom and the best man and uh, all the other entourage, they left the father's house and they would come to the, the, the bride's house. They would have a, a procession, a, a big wedding party was on their way to, get the, uh, to pick up his bride. And so although the bride was expecting her groom to come for her because she was keeping herself for him, she did not know when, she, when he would come. She had to be ready at a moment's notice. Whenever he showed up, he said, I'm ready. She's, she said, I've been, I've been waiting for you, honey. Let's get out of here. She had no idea. She knew he was coming but didn't know when. And so since the bride didn't know when he would come, the groom's arrival was preceded by a shout. A loud shout was made and said, I don't know what they said, but the, the bridegroom is coming or whatever, so-and-so is coming. And when, she, when, that, when they heard that shout, that meant that was a clue for the, for the bride to say, okay, got my bags, I'm out of here, adios. My bride's calling, my, my groom's calling for me. And so once that shout was heard, she had better be ready to go, her bags packed, waiting at the door, uh, waiting for him. And the five foolish and five wise versions, they were part of the, the bridal party. Uh, they were waiting for the, the bridegroom to come. And, you know, uh, the, some of them didn't bring... Uh, bring oil so they had to go back in town meanwhile while they're back in town the, he he showed up and and took away and took off and they came back like where's where's everybody at they came pounding on the door let us in you weren't ready that's part of the bridal that's part of the ceremony you got to be ready whenever he shows up uh and so uh uh the shout uh, announced him and the bro the broom and the uh the groom and the bride were gone went to be with him. And so 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be with the Lord. That's the rapture of the church, but that's also the the announcement of the bridegroom was ready to receive his bride. And so whenever that happens, boom, if the the bride is ready, boom, she's going to go and meet with him amen if you're not ready guess what you're not going to hear it and you won't be prepared for it uh and so we have to be ready for the sound uh the, that last the trump of god because that's the the rapture of the church that's him saying hey bride i'm ready are you ready and so uh that's uh the the process of uh, a jewish marriage is the bride had to be ready Waiting, proving herself, being faithful. And whenever the bride, uh, uh, the groom showed up, together with her bridesmaids, they would all go and return back to the father's house. Uh, and so where there at the father's house is where the, the, marriage, the, the marriage ceremony and, and the, the great feast, they, they loved eating just like we do. And they would have feasts and celebrate with everyone. It's a great time. Uh, and so the, the, the groom would take his bride, and they would go back to their father's house because why? That's where he was preparing a place, right? If I go and prepare a place for you. Uh, and so where is Jesus' father's house? It's in heaven, right? Isn't that where he went? They send it up into heaven. And so uh, when Jesus comes to get his bride, guess following Jewish custom, he would come get his bride, and he'd take her back to his father's house, take her back to which would be up in heaven where he's preparing a place. Uh, and so shortly after the bride and groom's arrival at his father's house, the bride and groom were escorted by other members of the wedding party into the bridal chamber. Uh, but prior to entering the, bri- the chamber, the bride remained veiled. Her face was covered. Everyone in the wedding party, everyone there sitting at the tables and uh, seeing them all come in, they couldn't see the bride. She was still veiled, still covered. Um, uh, and so the groomsmen, while the groomsmen and bridesmaids waited outside, the bride and groom entered the bridal chamber alone, and there they consummated the marriage and officially became husband and wife. And after the marriage was consummated, the groom would come out of the bridal chamber and announce the consummation of the marriage and then the, to the members of the wedding party waiting there. And then as the groom went back into the bride chamber with his bride, uh, the members of the wedding party returned to the guests and announced that they're officially married. Officially, uh, the, the consummation has happened and they are officially husband and wife. And upon receiving the good news, the wedding guest uh, celebrated and remained in the groom's father's house for the next seven days celebrating this great wedding feast. And as you, you recall, Jesus' first miracle was where? At a wedding feast in, in, in Cana. And so they were there celebrating, and they hadn't even seen the bride yet. They were just there as part of their custom, celebrating and having a good time. And so uh, during the seven days of the wedding feast, the bride and groom remained hidden in the bridal chamber. They stayed in there for seven days or for one week. And where have we even heard that? A week's, a week's remaining. 
And so the Daniel's 70th week still hasn't happened yet. And so God still has that week to fulfill with Israel. That's interesting if, if the marriage ceremony is that he will be with his bride for a week before he comes out. And so afterward, the seven days or the one week, the groom comes out bringing his bride with him. But this time her veil is removed. And so that everyone can see the bride. And the groom shows off his bride for all to see uh, how, uh, her beauty, her glory, and he, he shows her off to, to all those that are there. And um, uh, Colossians 3 and 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We're gonna, when it's time, we're going to appear and he's going to show off his bride. And if we are the bride, then he's going to show us off and, and the glory that he's covered us with. Musicians, if you would come. And so, uh, Revelation 19. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And so uh, this is uh, a rejoicing in heaven. Um, the great tribulation has just now finished up. The final Daniel 70th week has just wrapped up, um, and uh, the last week has come to a close, and they're in heaven, and they're celebrating that all that's, that horrendous week is, is done. In verse 6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as many voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so um, after the, the great tribulation is over, they're, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing, and then they, then they go on to say, Let's rejoice because it's the marriage, uh, the marriage of the lamb has come and the wife, his wife has made herself ready. And so the wife of the lamb has made herself ready. She is ready to be presented to the multitude. Meaning, according to Jewish custom, marriage customs, if the wife, if the bride is getting ready to be presented to everyone to see, that means one week has already passed. It seems to be about the same time as Daniel's 70th week is wrapping up that the, the wife is getting ready to be unveiled. And according to the Jewish marriage, the bride must have ha arrived there a week before, but she was veiled and no one can see her. But now they know the time is coming. They're saying the, the bride is getting ready to, pre to, to present herself. She is uh, getting ready. Uh, and so they know that the time has come. And she is ready to be shown off to the world, arrayed in fine linen, because the time is ready according to the Jewish uh, marriage. If you stand with me tonight, Ephesians 5, 
says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so the bride is getting ready to unveil herself. The groom is going to present her to the, the wedding party that is there in heaven. They're, they've been celebrating for seven days at this feast, ready to see the bride. And so she's ready. It must have been a week has passed. And then right after that, we see Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he, he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And so this is the, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ coming to this world. At the end of the seven years of tribulation. But you see that people were, are coming with him. Who were already in heaven. Clothed in white. Fine in linen. White and clean. And at this point Jesus doesn't come to the earth to get his bride and, and to take her back to heaven because that's the Jewish custom once he comes to get her he's got to bring her back to his father's house which means if he's coming back for good and he's going to come to reign in Jerusalem which would mean that he came earlier and got his bride in the middle of the night took her out of there to be back with him because he has to take her back to his father's house or why else would he go prepare a place if we're not going to heaven we're just going to meet up with him in, in Jerusalem. And so when the world sees Jesus at the end of the tribulation period, his bride is coming with him because she's ready to be unveiled to the whole world. And this is my bride. This is my church who, 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 who remained faithful to me. According, and during, through all the hardships and all the trials and tribulations, my bride remained faithful to me. And, and she did not give herself away, but she, she held on to me. And, and uh, according to all the Jewish marriage customs that Jesus talked about, uh, he's, not, he's not going to present his bride until he's been with her for one week. And so at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus comes, he's bringing his bride with him, which means we had had to gone up there much before that. In coincidence with the last week of Daniel and the marriage ceremony uh, of the Jewish customs, it means that Jesus is coming soon and very soon. 
coming for his bride, and we need to be ready because you never know when that is. But I, I, I want to be ready. We got to make sure our hearts are ready that we're not going to give ourselves Amen. to the things of this world and and, and commit uh, spiritual uh, uh, adultery with God. But we got to remain faithful to Him because Amen. He is coming soon and very soon. And the way the world things are, are heating up, and the the place and position of Israel for uh, the, the the rebuilding of the temple means that Jesus is coming back soon to rule. Once he comes back, he's going to be ruling, and he's going to be coming back with his bride to present her to the world, and I'm thankful to be a part of that, amen. If we are remain faithful to him, amen, we're going to escape, amen, whatever comes in the 70th week because that's for Israel, amen, and I want to be with him in heaven, right? Be with the, be celebrating with him, amen. As we close, as we close the service tonight, we begin to just close our eyes and and begin to think and meditate on God. God, help us to prepare our hearts and to keep them, God, ready. God, help us, Lord, not to become lukewarm or complacent, God, with our love and our commitment to you. But, God, help us renew our, our vow, renew our, our marriage covenant with you, God, because you're coming for us. And we got to be ready at the sound, at the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. we got to be ready out of here, Lord, and help us prepare our hearts, Jesus. We give you the praise. We worship you. Take this offering that I bring. Humbly I fall on my knees to proclaim your everything. And we may present it, be presented unto you without spot or My life's nothing without you. Take my hand and lead me through. You are my sustaining love.
We thank you, Jesus. We magnify you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for purchasing us. Lord, that we are spoken for, God. Help us, Lord, to remain committed and faithful to you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, as you are coming back for us soon and very soon. Hallelujah, we give you the praise and the glory. Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We're spoken for that the attention of others shouldn't, shouldn't distract us, shouldn't pull us away. The things of this world shouldn't be appealing to us because we have somebody coming for us. Man, and we don't want to disappoint him. We don't want to get left behind and get closed out on the door. Man, we want to stay faithful to him. Amen. God bless you all tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.